This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Hey folks, this is the second part in a two-part series. In part one, we discuss the history and finances of Christian films. We're joined by filmmakers Rich Cristiano from Play the Flute, Time Changer, and Unidentified, and Wes and Amanda Llewellyn from The Moment After and The Moment After 2. You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars and examine how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce. Okay, so Christian films are not like regular movies. They have to play by their own rules. Keep it clean, keep Christ at the center, limited violence and swearing, and conservative costumes. Why, you ask? First, Christians have biblical commandments on them. Things like staying away from sexual immorality and not causing others to stumble. Of course, sometimes that earns Christian films the reputations of being a little prudish. After all, there is a difference between causing somebody to stumble and not letting female characters wear slacks instead of dresses. That's changing some, but remember, the market determines the final product. Think about it. If you as a filmmaker make your money by selling DVDs, who are you going to market to? People who buy DVDs. Not people who steal clips and put them onto YouTube. You're going to market to people who actually contribute. And when DVDs were still a thing, who bought Christian DVDs? Mostly very conservative Christians. Say what you want, but the hipper the church, the less likely they are to pay for their media. Look at how many of the video clips your associate pastor plays are from YouTube, which, BT dubs, pays way worse than Amazon. At least back when there's a physical film to buy, conservatives bought them, which means they wanted to see conservative values. Here's how Amanda put it. I mean, when we first did the moment after, um, we would have people sit there, watch the film with their Bibles open on their lap. It's like, please, please don't do that. Don't do that. This is a piece of entertainment that contains some of God's truth. It doesn't contain the entire truth because we don't have that kind of time, money, energy, effort, everything else. It's a story that we're telling. It's an analogy. It's an allegory. It is, it is all of those things. It is not scripture. Can we all agree that's an extreme example and not the norm? But the filmmaker has to be aware that a segment of their audience and a segment more likely to pay for something instead of pirating it will be pretty conservative. Not a lot of middle ground. Movies were and still are marketed to pastors and youth pastors who have to make sure the film is clean so they don't cause their congregation to stumble. Imagine what would happen if a youth pastor showed a movie that had an explicit sex scene in it. That's right, the youth pastor would lose his job. Christianity is a huge umbrella. It spans women in bonnets to Christian punk bands and everything in between. That's a large target to aim for. You don't want to cause anyone on that spectrum to stumble. Rich illustrates this with a story from his film, Time Changer. Time Changer is about a Bible professor from 1890 to comes to present time. So we had a little montage where he's walking around the city just seeing things and he's like wide-eyed because he's, what is this? And 
he saw a mannequin, okay? And I shot it from behind the mannequin who's wearing like a lingerie. And so you see behind the mannequin and you, Russell Carlyle looks and his eyes bulge. And I remember that night the crew says, okay, we need to shoot the reverse to show what he's looking at, right? And I said, no, we don't. This is the idea. And they said, no, you've got to shoot the reverse. I said, no, I ain't got to do nothing. And they didn't understand. I said, guys, are you selling this movie or am I? That's all I need to do to imply that he's seen something a bit risque. And Chris, I've had so many pastors say something to me about it. They appreciated the way we shot that, you know, because I'm understanding my buyer, too. And that's another thing, you know, understand who you're selling to, because when you're a pastor and you show a movie, you feel responsible for everything in that film. If there's something embarrassing, you might not show it, you know. Some people say that movies should be grittier to appeal to non-Christian audiences instead of speaking Christianese and appealing to people within the church. Rich Cristiano disagrees. He tells the story of a revival he went to that changed his life. You know, revival or guy will preach Sunday nights. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, it was a week-long revival. So it was Sunday night sermon. And he says, listen, there's two things God's looking for in your life, two things. If you never get anything I say to you the rest of this week, get these two things. In fact, if you never get anything I say to you the rest of, from a pastor the rest of your life, get these two things. God's looking for faithfulness and motives, and don't ever forget it. And Chris, you talk about something hitting you between the eyes. I said, okay, Lord, you want me to make faithful films for you with pure motives. And then thirdly, at that time, I read a book by Charles Spurgeon called Around the Wicked Gate. And for Spurgeon, the wicked gate is the narrow gate of Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. Now, I'll kind of bring it up to modern times. But basically, what Spurgeon's saying is this. Outside that narrow gate, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. These are churchgoers. These are intellectual believers in Jesus. These are professing Christians. These are people that think they're saved, but they're not. But what the church wants to do, he says, is take all their evangelistic efforts and try to reach the guy maybe at the L.A. Times that could care less about any of this. And Spurgeon says, don't do that. In fact, Jesus told you in Matthew 7, verse 6, don't take your pearl and cast it to the swine. Instead, let's focus to reach people around the wicked gate or the narrow gate. And that made sense to me. And so for us, our ministry has always been an inside-out ministry. A lot of people say to us, Rich, you guys are preaching to the choir. And I say, look, man, choir's not all saved. Every church has people in it who need to hear the gospel, who need to be born again. Christian films can be very effective at reaching those people. We can't be hypocrites on the screen, claim Jesus, but entice folks to sin. Believe me when I say it is a delicate dance, which is why I think we need to see Christian films as a separate art form, because they play by different rules. They have to, or they won't reflect Christ. Christian films can't show nudity or use foul language. And they have a message to get across. When was the last time you saw a secular film that had an overt message? Exactly. Not many do. Christian films, in order to be the evangelism tool that they are, must point to Christ, or else they're just clean family films. And that we'll cover right after this message. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, 
Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Cat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Hi, this is Chris. At this point, right here, is when the audience is engaged in listening. This could be where we talk about your product or your ministry. I need your help to take this show full-time. Uh, if you'd like to advertise on Truce, please send me an email at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. In the meantime, check out my novel, Cradle Robber. It's a time travel thriller that also makes you think. You can find it on your favorite ebook platform or at trucepodcast.com. Now, back to the show. Christian films are a ministry tool, just like a tract or Bible study materials. I think part of the stigma against Christian films is that we're afraid to share our faith because we forget the power of the gospel. I like how Amanda put it. If I sit down with my unsafe friend and I watch this movie, they're going to, they're going to see some stuff about Jesus that I have not been able to articulate or I'm uncomfortable to articulate, and then we can talk about it. And then they can ask me questions, and then I can answer them. And then I can leave them to the Lord, and then we'll be together forever. And I think that that's the, that's the impetus, I think, a lot of times behind a really good faith-based film is that it makes it so much easier to talk to someone um, after you've shared this experience with them. And, and I think that a lot of Christian filmmakers, that's really their heart. That's really their heart. They want to be used as an evangelism tool. Right. See, we're not all Billy Graham, but we can invite our friends to watch a movie and discuss it with us. They pave the way for really important conversations. Here's why Rich makes Christian films. And if you haven't fallen in love with Rich Cristiano's heart yet, get ready. Let me kind of tell you something happened with us. In 1987, my brother and I living in Jonesboro, Arkansas, we got in a plane and we flew to California because we were going to move out there. We were going to get an office at this at these little studios that we could rent, and we were going to try to make movies with subtle little messages for the Lord. But God didn't want that. And what happened is in 1987, later that year, we released a movie called The Pretender, which is a 39-minute youth film about a worldly high school guy who pretends to be a Christian so he can date a non, an unsuspecting Christian girl. And we, prepared it, we premiered it that night, I think it was August 26, 1987, at Central Baptist Church. 800 people there, pretty big church. In fact, my brother made a comment to me before I started, because there's more people here than at the theater tonight, you know. And so they showed the movie, and the pastor gave an invitation, as a Southern Baptist church might. And a little girl walked down the aisle and says, I'm a pretender, I need Jesus. Now, I have no idea if that girl truly got saved. I have no idea who that girl is. But I cannot tell you the significance of that because it's like God spoke to both my brother and myself separately because we were sitting a little ways apart. And the Lord said, guys, I don't want you going to Hollywood. I want you to make films for my church that I can use to reach people. And we died that night, Chris, to our Hollywood dreams, winning Oscars, that whole nine yards. We died to that dream that night. Someone has to create the tools that make it easier to share the gospel. 
And that honor is reserved for those who are willing to take the financial and emotional risks to make these films in the first place. Let the secular filmmakers handle the entertainment. If we commit to the Lord in certain areas, he's going to honor it. And I'm not talking about financial either, but the reward to receive for you making a movie as you are a Christian filmmaker and you get a response that the movie touches somebody's heart and to make a decision for the Lord. You know, the Hollywood filmmakers, they don't get emails like that, you know. Sony, Paramount, Warners, they don't get those kinds of emails. Christian filmmakers are in it to change lives because there is nothing better at changing lives than the gospel. We forget that sometimes, don't we? But that's what this whole Christian thing is about. Not about money or power, being snarky or clever. It isn't about making people just feel better. Not about whispering in the ear of the president or putting smiles on people's faces. It's about freeing humans from the burden of sin by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus. And it's so easy to forget that. Can we just lay off the jokes for a little while? Show some respect? I think so. Here's one last story from Rich to illustrate the power of the art form. There's a guy named Russ Doughton. People might not know who that is, but I'll tell you a story with Russ. We used to meet with him. Russ did Mark IV pictures, and they made 16 movies. He did Thief in the Night, all those movies, the prophecy films, in the 70s and the 80s. And prominent Christian film producer, very evangelistic heart for the Lord. And when we used to go to the Christian film conventions, we would always meet up with Russ because we were very like-minded. He was about putting a message in the movie. And Russ Doughton was the type of guy, Chris, if he were to meet you within 10 minutes, he wants to know, so Chris, how have you come to know the Lord? And he's that type of guy. Rich and his brother asked Russ what was the hardest thing that he ever did. So he goes, that I can answer. Back in my 20s, uh, I was approached on a Tuesday to write and direct this program called The Children Gospel Hour with Henry Geiger. This is like in the mid-50s. And we started shooting the following Monday. And we did like 24, 26 episodes. He goes, the hardest thing I ever did, I learned it on the fly, but we got through it and we produced this program. Russ then went out and was the associate producer on The Blob with Steve McQueen. It was released in 1958. And after The Blob, Russ said, But God didn't want me in Hollywood. He wanted to make films for him, and God got me out of Hollywood, came back to Des Moines, Iowa. What am I going to do? And I had an idea for a movie called A Thief in the Night, and I kind of committed to the Lord, I'm going to make films for you. I get the idea. You don't want me in Hollywood. Kind of like my brother and myself. He got, I want you to make films for me. Thief in the Night became a classic that, believe it or not, still sells, still changes lives today. Anyhow, he and his producing partner wanted to make a film for children. So they went around to churches to observe how Sunday school teachers worked with their students. And this one Sunday school teacher jumped out at him. And so they approached her and said, will you help us with our script? She goes, sure. So she would come over a couple times a week for like the next three or four months and they would work on the script. Writing, rewriting, getting it just right to reach out to kids with the help of this gifted Sunday school teacher. He said this lady led hundreds of kids to the Lord over her lifetime. So she walked to the door and Russ says, by the way, I, I never failed to ask you, how did you come know the Lord? She goes, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I, I love the Lord. I've been serving the Lord. And Russ says, well, that's good to hear. She goes, yeah, I got saved watching this program on television called the Children's Gospel Hour. That project, the one that had caused them so much grief, had been so hard to produce, had been the tool the Lord used to get this woman's attention. That hit him so hard. And it's like God said, see Russ, I didn't want you to make the blob. 
forget about the blob, forget about that. I want you to make films for me. And to me, this is what it's about with Christian films. You don't get this in Hollywood, you know. And um, Russ with the Lord now. I mean, we're trusting he's with the Lord. I mean, but his films live on and they're, you know, they're on Amazon Prime and they're out there and they'll continue to get out there. And even though they're older films, look, there's something about the message of those movies that touch hearts and the Lord still uses them. So to me, that's one of my favorite stories. So let's stop being ashamed of the gospel. And whether we like to watch them or not, let's try to support Christian films. Tell us what you think about Christian films. Is there one that really impacted you for better or for worse? You can reach the show on social media at, at TrucePodcast or TrucePodcast at Yahoo.com. Our website is TrucePodcast.com. There you can find out more information about my films, Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls, and my novel, Cradle Robber. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would tell your friends about the show on social media and leave a good review on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to our guests, Amanda and Wes Llewellyn. Their films are The Moment After One and Two. Thanks to Rich Cristiano, whose new movie, Play the Flute, will begin its theatrical run in September of 2018. For more information about sponsoring his film, email him at... RichAtChristianMovies.com, by the way. RichAtChristianMovies.com. Send me an email. I'll tell you about the film. He's one of the most giving filmmakers I've ever met. Really, if you're looking to get into Christian filmmaking or you just want more information, look up Rich Cristiano. He's always willing to share information, especially with young upstarts looking to get into the business, like I once was. I'm Chris Starin. This is Truce. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.